Good morning. Everybody doing good? All right. Not sure. That's all right. That's all right. Really glad that you are here today, and uh, I'm honored to be filling in for our pastor. And as uh, Chris said, I'm not the normal pastor here, so if I say something today that you don't like, come back next week. Let Joseph offend you himself. And uh, <clears throat> But, no, I'm not up here trying to offend anybody, but I, I do just want us to look together at, at God's Word today and see what maybe we can learn from that and see what He would have for us. And so uh, hopefully it'll be challenging. It was challenging to me as I was preparing it. Hopefully it'll be challenging to you as well. I do want to encourage you to pray for your pastor. We just prayed for him as he's up in Kentucky today, but I want to encourage you to pray for him at all times. Every time the Lord brings him to your mind, it's a, a special burden, pastor in a church. And um, pastor in this church, I've done it before. Some of y'all are easy to pastor. Uh, some of you, um, you know, maybe not so much, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, uh, but really pray for him. I'm really, really thankful for, for the way he leads us week in and week out. We're going to be today in the Old Testament, so if you've got a Bible with you or if you've got a phone with an app on it or an iPad with an app, something like that, look in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua. And so Joshua is the sixth book of the Bible right after Deuteronomy, and it's a time of transition uh, in, in the Bible story. And so uh, we're going to talk today about some of that transition time. And this uh, Joshua chapter 3 is where we're going to be. So Joshua chapter 3, I'm going to start by reading the first four verses of, uh, of Joshua chapter 3. And uh, we're only going to deal with five verses today, just the first five. I'm going to read the first four, and uh, so, so follow along with me. While I read this, Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan, that's the Jordan River, and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you are to break camp and follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your word, and uh, I pray today that um, nothing that I say will confuse people about what your word truly has to say. I pray that the only thing we'll hear would be things that would uh, help them understand more about who you are, that you would speak very clearly to us today, and that uh, when we leave here, we'd be talking about who you are and how great you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, uh, my wife Sherry and I, she was up here playing the keyboard a while ago, uh, we went to Kentucky for lunch. And uh, the reason you go all the way to Kentucky for lunch is when you have a daughter that lives in Indiana, Kentucky's about halfway. So, uh, so we went to London, Kentucky, to a Cracker Barrel, because we just heard great things about the Cracker Barrel in London, Kentucky. No, we went there to meet her, and so, so she comes down, and, and we go up, and, and, uh, and to get to Kentucky, to get to, from here, you have to go through Tennessee, and you have to go up I-40, and there's a section of interstate there that a lot of you are familiar with that every once in a while they have rock slides, and so they shut down that whole part of the interstate, and you have to take detours. Well, lo and behold, the day we were going was one of those days. So on the way up there, we're heading up I-40, and we get to a place where they take us off on a detour, and we're going through just these mountain, you know, back, back up in the hills and, uh, and going through there. And that was fine on the way up. 
Well, on the way back, we're, we're, we're trying to make good time, get back, we're tired, you know, it's you, when you drive all the way to Kentucky and back in one day, you're kind of tired. So we're coming back, and as we're going on those mountain roads again, because the interstate was still closed off, we come around a, a turn, and there's three or four car, three or three or four cars. Um, we good? Yeah, all right. Three or four cars uh, with taillights that are backed up, and uh, and we're sitting there, and I see why they've stopped. There's a side road, and a guy in an 18 wheeler had decided he was going to try to, I guess, bypass something and come off that side road. Well, there was a hump, and he was bogged down and had both lanes of the mountain road blocked. And so we're sitting here, there's nowhere, and you know, on this side, it drops off. On the other side, it goes up, and we're just sitting there. And I'm looking around thinking, well, what's going on? Look at my phone. There is no, no calls, no texts, nothing's going out of this place, right? And so we're waiting. And after a while, people, we're getting out of the cars. We're dragging logs out from the woods to try to, you know, put it under the tires of this uh, cab of this wheeler to try to get this thing moving. Nothing's working. A little while later, a deputy sheriff from the area, I don't even know how he got all the way up there. He gets out. He's like Barney Fife's much heavier brother. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm watching this guy, and I've got zero confidence that he's going to be able to handle the situation. And I'm getting concerned because in, you know, a couple hours, it's going to be getting dark. And uh, we're up in the mountains, and I don't have a gun with me, and we're just looking around. I'm like, what is going to happen? So, uh, so all, I, but I keep noticing that where the road where this 18-wheeler is coming out of, every once in a while, cars will come out of there. Like, so that goes somewhere. And if I can just get there, I'll take that road. And a couple of the cars in front of me finally decided to be brave, and they were thinking like me, we're going to go that road. First chance I get, I go up there, and we go down this, and you're having to barely get through. Next thing you know, we're going through creeks, and, you know, it's a, it's a, a dirt road with some gravel on it, and all I'm doing is following the guy in front of me and just hoping he knows. He had a South Carolina license plate, and I'm like, well, at least we'll be lost together. And I'm just following him. But all of a sudden, we were on a road that we had never been on before. We had never traveled that way before, and I had no idea what was going to happen. And when you're on a path like that that you've never traveled before, there's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of anxiety, and you just don't know what's going to happen. And in this story, Joshua tells the people of Israel, he says, hey, you're about to travel a way you've never traveled before. That's what it says right there in verse 4. Keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go. For you haven't traveled this way before. All of us in life get to that spot. You've been there before, maybe you're there now. Where you get to a place and you realize, this, I've never done any of this. I've never traveled this way. You get a diagnosis you didn't expect. You lose a loved one that you didn't expect to at a time you didn't expect to. You get a, sometimes it's good things. You get a job, but it's all brand new. Uh, you have to move. You send a kid off to school. You have a kid you hoped would go off to school and he didn't, and he's still living in your basement, whatever it is. But you get to a point where it's like, I've never been on this road before. Well, and I also feel like that we're living in a time that a lot of us, maybe it's just me, a lot of us feel like, man, I don't understand any of this anymore. Things that, things that used to be normal, things that used to be bedrock that we thought, hey, this will never change, it's all changing. 
And all of a sudden, we start to think, I don't know where any of this is going, and it causes fear and it causes anxiety. And I don't know if you've noticed, the other thing that it's causing is when people get scared and they get anxious, evidently that makes people angry. Because it seems like every time I turn around, people are just mad at each other and wanting to holler about it. Now, that's not day-to-day interactions, but anything you see on TV, anything you're following on any kind of social media, everybody's upset. And we're all trying to just shout each other down. And next thing you know, good sense and, and good common sense about the way you're supposed to treat each other goes out the window. That person was ugly to me, I'm going to be uglier to them. And all of a sudden, we're living in this time where you just feel exhausted and stressed out and anxious all the time. Because we're on this road, it feels like, that we've never been on before. Well, I think there's, we're in a situation that's not unlike that much what the Israelites went through. And, and we need to be reminded today of what they were reminded of then. So in Joshua chapter 3, verse 4, what the, if you notice there, what did Joshua tell them they were supposed to follow? Well, in verse, go back to verse, uh, go back to verse 2 and 3 first. He says, After three days the officers went to the camp and commanded the people, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God. And then he says, Keep a distance of a thousand yards between yourselves and the ark. Joshua tells the people, Follow the ark. Now, here's what that means. He was telling them, Follow the Lord. The ark of the covenant, you might remember from the Indiana Jones movie, which, by the way, that's a great uh, thing for you to remember because that's what it looked like. Steven Spielberg, when he made that movie, they made, it, they made it exactly the way the Old Testament describes it was supposed to be built. So the way you saw it in the movie with the big golden angels on the top and all that, that's what the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord looked like. Same size and everything. Now the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was significant back then because it represented the presence of God. Now here's what we know about God. God is way too big and too eternal to be contained in a piece of furniture. But God chose to put part of His presence into the ark as a manifestation of who He was. And so it was a very special thing. It was a holy piece of furniture. It was a holy thing. And so when Joshua tells them, hey, you're going to see the ark of the covenant of the Lord and we want you to follow it, that was a huge deal to the Israelites because they only got to see the Ark of the Covenant two different times. One, like this, when they're getting ready to move from one place to the other, or two, when they were getting ready to go into battle. That was the only time the Ark of the Covenant was brought out. The rest of the time it was kept in the tabernacle, which was like the, ta- the traveling temple that they had in the wilderness. And the only people that got to see it then were the priests. So now Joshua's saying, hey, we're going to bring out the Ark of the Covenant and we want you to stay back from it so you can see it and then follow it because you're going on a road you've never been down before, but follow that. And so what he's saying to them is, you've never been on this road, so here's what you do. You follow the Lord. You follow the presence of God in your midst. That's what you follow. You don't go off on your own way. You don't try to figure out things yourself. You don't make your own plan. You follow the Lord because the way we're going, you've never been that way before. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know how to get where we're going. You follow the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, you follow the presence of God in your midst. And then get to verse 5. Then he gives them some instructions, and there's two words that I think come out of these verses that I want us to focus on today. So after he says, you've never been on this path, follow the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, Joshua 3, 5 says this. Joshua told the people, 
Consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. The first word today that I want us to think about is the word consecration. Consecration. Not concentration. Consecration. It's a different, it's a different thing. Consecration. When, when Joshua says consecrate yourselves, what he's saying to them is begin to prepare yourself spiritually for what God's going to do. Begin to take steps to, to be ready spiritually to follow the Lord on this road we've never been on before. Now, it might have seemed like a strange thing for Joshua to tell the people because they were standing at the banks of the Jordan River, which, by the way, at this time was at flood stage. So the Jordan River is a big river anyway, and it's flowing, and it would be difficult to cross anyway with people without a bridge. But it was even more daunting now because it was flowing so fast it had left its banks and so they're standing at the edge of that and you would think they would say hey look man spiritual preparation is great but shouldn't we like be learning how to swim or build a raft or something or build a bridge over this thing what what is spiritual preparation going to get us ready for and then there were probably other folks that saying hey spiritual preparation is great but we need to be putting together a battle plan because when we get on the other side of this river if we make it there's going to be people over there ready to fight us because we're coming into their territory. But Joshua says, no, look, consecrate yourselves. Prepare yourselves spiritually for what's about to happen. And this was not the first time that, that God had given that directive to the Israelites. Way back in Exodus chapter 19, before Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, he tells the people, while I'm up here, consecrate yourselves. Be prepared for when I'm going to come down, I'm going to have a word from the Lord. And when I come down, for you to be ready to hear it and put it into action, you need to be prepared spiritually for what you're about to hear. And so when Joshua tells the people in verse 5, consecrate yourselves for what God's about to do, he's letting them know they need to be ready to respond to the way God is going to lead them. And they were probably confused at why that was the type of preparation he was giving them the instructions to do. You know, we, we prepare for different things different ways. So um, tomorrow morning, um, hopefully most of you are going to get up and, and go to work. And you're going to get up and you're going to prepare to go to work. You're not just going to roll out of bed and then just go to work in what you slept in. Uh, you're going to change your clothes. Hopefully you're going to take a shower for the folks that you work around. Uh, you're going to, you know, eat, get something to eat, get you a little energy. If you're like me, you're going to get a cup of coffee. You're going to get something to you know, kind of get you going. If, if you've got to travel for work, you're going to make sure there's gas in the car. If it's not tomorrow morning, it won't be. But when it's cold, you're going to make sure that the windshield's scraped off. All those different things to go to work. You're going to prepare to go to work. Last night, before you went to bed, you prepared to go to bed, didn't you? And you didn't prepare to go to bed the same way you prepared to go to work. Whatever clothes you had on, you just didn't jump in the bed with those clothes and shoes and everything on. You, you know, changed into whatever you sleep in, maybe took a shower, maybe washed your face, brushed your teeth, you know, maybe got a little snack before bed. You probably didn't drink coffee before bed like you're going to drink in the morning. When, if you did, you'd still be awake if you're like me. And so we prepare different ways to do different things. How weird would it be if you got up tomorrow morning and you prepared to go to work like you prepared to go to bed? It wouldn't make any sense, would it? And you show up to work in whatever you sleep in, and then your you know, boss would call and be like, hey, come pick him up and it's time to put him in a home uh, because he, uh, he needs 24-7 you know, care now. So we prepare different ways. So when Joshua is telling the people, hey, what we're about to do requires spiritual preparation, 
It requires that you consecrate yourselves. He was letting them know that this wasn't going to be a normal battle they were going in. Now here's what I was thinking when I was reading this passage of Scripture and thinking about the world we live in now and how we feel like everything around us has changed. And we feel like culture shifted in a way that, that is hard for us to figure out. It's hard for us to be comfortable in. I think that there are times when we try to prepare for that in the wrong way. The way we're trying to prepare for that is we want to figure out, hey, we got to put some things in practice and we got to get the right people in office and we got to, you know, organize folks to, to protest here and do all that. And I feel like sometimes God's saying to us, why don't you start with preparing yourself spiritually for what I'm about to do? Instead of worrying so much about what all is going on, why don't you think about what I'm trying to teach you in your heart and prepare yourself spiritually? What can we be doing to consecrate ourselves? Well, we can be reading the Word, first of all. We can turn off some of the stuff that we're constantly listening to and instead read what God has to say directly from His Word. We can be trying to put the hard teachings of Scripture into practice, such as pray for those who persecute you and love your enemies and do unto others as you would have them do unto you instead of trying to always respond the way we feel we've been attacked. We could consecrate ourselves. Now, let me stop here just a second for any of you theologians in the, in the room before you get too uh, bent out of shape at me. Um, the word consecrate means to make holy, right? We can't make ourselves holy. I just want you to know that we understand that. We are we, it is impossible for us to make ourselves holy. Only God can make us holy. That's the work that He does in us. He can make us holy. So when Joshua says to consecrate yourselves, he's not thinking that they can make themselves holy, but what he's saying is put yourselves in a position so that the work of God in your life can 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 reach, it reach its maximum potential. So when we read the Word, when we pray, when we put those hard teachings into practice, we're not earning something, we're not making ourselves holy, but what we're doing is we're following what God's told us to do and then He will then fulfill His promise and make us holy. He will do His work through us. Now here's the other thing about the word consecrate in the, in the Old Testament. When it talked about things being consecrated, so there will be times when when, uh, when God would say, hey, consecrate this item. And it was usually something that was going to be used for a sacrifice. So you consecrate this. What he meant by that is you set it apart. So you take it out of the normal rotation of what it would be used for, and you would do some things, pray over it, and do some things to it, and then you would set it apart. And then it's only going to be used for that purpose. Now it's consecrated. It's set apart. It is a holy item. Here's what I believe is going to happen. If we as followers of Christ if we really do the hard work of living out Scripture, if we really try to prepare ourselves spiritually for what it's like to live in culture today, we are naturally going to look different, talk different, have a different attitude, be different than everyone else. And so we will be set apart. We will be consecrated. We'll be different. And it's not to be set apart to not to have anything to do with anyone anymore. It's to be set apart to be able to be ready to be used of God to influence culture that we live in. That's what consecrated means. It means to be set apart and to be holy. And so when Joshua tells the people, consecrate yourselves, I think that's a word that we can hear today for where we live. 
The second word that we're going to look at, it's not exactly in the verse, but it's implied. So Joshua 3.5, again, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. The second word is anticipation. Anticipation. Here's the scene, Joshua 3, so you understand what's going on. You've got a million people, probably over a million people. They're at the banks of this river. This million people, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents had all been slaves in Egypt. They've heard the stories. Now, the people standing at the banks of the Jordan River, other than two of them, none of them had been slaves in Egypt. The only two that were left that had been slaves in Egypt were Joshua and Caleb. The rest of them had to die before they could get here because they disobeyed God. And so God said an entire generation is not going to enter into the promised land except these two guys and their family. Everybody else is going to have to die off. So all the folks here, they had heard the stories from their parents. They had heard the stories from their grandparents of what it was like when they lived in Egypt and they were slaves and they didn't have freedom. And so now, here they are, after wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, here they are about to finally see the promise of God fulfilled that he was going to give them this land to occupy. And so there was anticipation that was off the charts. There was excitement, but there was also fear. There was also anxiety. Because they knew, okay, God said he was going to do this, but man, that's a big river right there in front of us. I don't know if God said he's going to give us this land, but, but there's this city on the other side of that river that we've heard about called Jericho, and it's, it's almost impenetrable. We're, we're going to have a hard time getting over there. And, and we know that we've won some battles on this side of the Jordan, but there's going to be greater battles to fight on that side of the Jordan. And so all of a sudden, as they're anticipating what God's going to do, this fear and this anxiety can creep in. One of the things that I love that we see in the Old Testament when you read through it is that over and over again, when God's about to do something, when he's asking the people to anticipate what he will do, he tells them to look back at what he's already done. Over, you see it over and over and over again. In fact, just this morning I was reading 1 Samuel, and it gets to the part, gets to the part where Samuel's about to die last words that Samuel speaks he spends time telling the Israelites hey remember all this stuff that God did by the way he also points out you were unfaithful here but God was faithful let me tell you this other story oh you were unfaithful there too but guess what God was still faithful and so over and over and over again through the Old Testament when when something good is about to happen when God's about to do something new before they do it he'll say hey look back at what I've already done the last words of Moses this is what God did. Last words of Abraham. This is what God did. All through the Old Testament, you see it. That the looking back helps us to be excited about what's to come. In fact, Exodus 13, 3. The moment that the Israelites cross the Red Sea and the, the sea covers up Pharaoh's army and they're finally free after being slaves for generations, the very first thing that happens before they move forward, Moses says to them, remember this day, when you came out of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, for the Lord brought you out of here by the strength of his hand. Here's the thing for us, I think. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you should have those stories to look back on. 
as we, as we get ready to anticipate what God can do and will do on this road that we've never traveled before, how can we, how can we begin to understand His faithfulness? Well, the, the first way that we can do that is that we look back. And you've got those stories. You, there should be a story that you have of where you just didn't know what to do. But you can recall, you know what? But then God spoke to me. God spoke to me through reading His Word. God spoke to me through a sermon that Joseph preached. God made it very clear of what my next step was. You've got that kind of story. You've got a story that says there were a time when I couldn't provide, whether it was providing financially or providing emotionally for something. There was that time, and then all of a sudden you can remember, yeah, but then God was faithful. He did something. And then the story that all of us as followers of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, the, the most important story that you have is there was a time when you were lost, you were dead in your sin, you were trying to figure out a way to earn forgiveness on your own, and then you understood and you realized that you couldn't do that. And so Jesus came into your life, intersected with the reality that you were living in, and through the power of the cross and the resurrection, He transformed your heart, gave you a new direction in life, and now you've got a new path to walk on. We've all got that story if you're a follower of Jesus. And those are the stories that we should reflect on as we get anxious and fearful about the path that we're on now. Now, it's not to live in the past. See, one of the things that I think we struggle with sometimes now as everything in society is changing, we decide we just want to be nostalgic. You know, and there'll be some nights I'm realizing, I just want to watch the Rockford Files because I remember that from when I was a kid. And I want to listen to all the music I listened to when I was in high school because it just makes me feel good to, you know, put on Van Halen or whatever. And, and, um, and, and next thing you know, I'll go four or five days and I, I don't even know anything that's happening because I'm living back in 1982. And this is not what that's about. This isn't about getting nostalgic for the past. This is about looking back at what God did so that we can be ready for what He's going to do in the future. See, remembering that God was faithful yesterday reminds us that He will be faithful tomorrow. If He was faithful yesterday, He'll, he'll be faithful tomorrow. God was faithful, He is faithful, and He will be faithful. And so when in verse 5, when Joshua tells the people, hey, look, the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Now, you won't, I mean, you probably will believe it if you've read the Old Testament, but if you haven't, let me clue you in. He did some wonders. One of the things He did was He stopped the Jordan River from flowing. And when they got to the banks of it, it started piling up and, and until it got dry and a million people crossed over while the Jordan River had stopped flowing. Then when they got to the other side, they got to the city of Jericho that we talked about a while ago with the strongest walls in the area. People thought, there's no way you can take the city of Jericho. And God said, here's, here's our plan. We're going to put the band in front. We're not even going to put the guys with the swords in front. Now, if you're going into a fight, you don't ever put the band in front. You put the football team or the softball team in front, but you don't put the band in front, Right? And so that's what they did. They put the band in front and then the walls fell down and then the warriors went in and God was, you know, gave them that city and, and it happened over and over and over again. So as we're on this road that we've never traveled before, instead of living in fear and instead of being anxious all the time and being angry about everything that's happening, we need to anticipate 
that God's going to do some good stuff. And why do we anticipate that? Because he's been faithful in the past. Uh, uh, I travel a lot for work, so I, I go to a lot of QTs, and um, usually QTs, to uh, get gas and wash my hands and use the bathroom and get coffee and all that stuff. And So I was in a QT the other day, and I, I, thought, I was thinking about this message, and I went to dry my hands, and, uh, and I saw that big hand dryer that they have in there. You remember when I was growing up, you had the hand dryers that they blew out warm air, and they were kind of small, and it kind of came out, you know, pretty good, but not great. Now, I don't know who invented it, but they came up with like the extreme hand dryer, like hand dryer on steroids. And uh, it's so loud, you almost need ear protection for it. And it's, you know, and it moves like I'm so glad my, my grandmother who had osteoporosis never lived to see one because it would broke her hands or her fingers with that air coming out and hitting her hands. And so it's just so loud, right? It's just the loudest thing and it's, and it's so intense. But here's the thing I've noticed about those. The results are about the same. When I get done, I still have to wipe my hands on my britches. I mean, that's, that's the thing you know about a hand dryer is when you get done, if you want your hands to be dry, you got to wipe it on your pants. And, uh, and so it doesn't matter if it was loud or, you know, soft. It doesn't, doesn't matter if it was intense or, or just a little bit laid back. The results of the hand dryer are basically the same. I think sometimes we live in this world and we think, man, it's just everything has changed. I don't think it's changed that much. I think it's just louder than it used to be. I think it just feels more in your face than it used to be. I spent a lot of time with my parents when I'm traveling for work down in Columbia. My dad's 79, and every once in a while he'll say, things are worse now than they've ever been. Now, he saw some stuff, you know, he lived through the 60s and all that. And my mom will say, Bob, it's not any worse than it's ever been. Did you ever read the Old Testament? It used to be a whole lot worse than it is now. <laughs> but I do think sometimes we feel like that. Like, it's just, everything's out of control. I think it's just louder. I think it just feels more intense. See, opposition to the gospel of Jesus is not new. Opposition to the church of Jesus Christ is not new. You do realize in the New Testament, when this whole thing got started, when the whole church of Jesus Christ got started, there was a government that was the most powerful government in the world and the most powerful government that the world had ever seen at that time. They were actively trying to stop it. They were constantly trying to stop the spread of Christianity. And you know what happened? Christianity blossomed and became the most powerful force for good this world has ever seen. It's not new what we're living in. But I think what is new that we're living in is we have given in to fear and anxiety. And instead, we need to look back, remember that God was faithful, and anticipate what he's going to do. We haven't traveled this way before, but we can respond the way that God wants us to. Consecrate ourselves, anticipate the good things he's going to do, and be excited that we can be followers of Jesus living in 2022 instead of being mad about it all the time. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the gift of your word. I thank you that a story from a couple thousand years ago is still relevant today i pray that you would help me not to be anxious you'd help all of us to live uh, as folks that love our neighbors 
that, uh, that want to see good things happen for the world we live in and to be lights of the gospel wherever we go. That we would be like a city on a hill, we'd like, be like a burning lamp in the darkness and the folks around us would notice and would give you the glory for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.